Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we continue in our study through the book of Ephesians, and the Lord has us here in chapter 4 today. And Paul says this in verse 1. He says, uh, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, it's so powerful that we see here the prisoner. I love that so much, the prisoner. Now, remember how he refers to himself as the ambassador in chains? Now, when he says, I, therefore, now, all the previous things to, in, in this letter to the saints in Ephesus, all these previous, these, these previous things considered, considered, because you got to admit, we've studied some hardcore things in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and here we are in chapter 4. Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. This is, translates as, you know, to walk, to walk uh, uh, worthy of the calling or becoming. Walk in a manner that is becoming. Now, you might see like in a military service, somebody does like uh, when they get a dishonorable discharge, it's because of uh, a conduct that is unbecoming of, you know, whatever rank or whatever branch or, you know, conduct unbecoming and then they get discharged. So, you know, you see in a worldly sense, this aspect of what is what is behavior that is becoming and what is behavior that is unbecoming. And these are the things that we determine, that we discern in as we walk according to the flesh or walk according to the spirit. Now, I say do not walk according to the flesh. We're in these earth suits. And, you know, we're still growing and we're going to grow and continue to mature to the fullness of the stature of Christ, things that we study today. But and, and not just today, but as we grow and mature, how beautiful it is to be for a, a, a brand new believer in Christ. But understand it's, it's beautiful. Yes. But then understand the dangers behind it. Because, you know, sometimes I like to watch the nature shows on TV. You know, I watch the nature shows and you see the lions, you know, the lions. They're like waiting. They're, you know, very slow crawling to the gazelle. And then all of a sudden they pounce, they run, they 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 strike. And the gazelle run. And it's always the babies or the old ones who are killed and eaten. Now... You know, the babies who are killed and eaten, it's, it's, it's a natural occurrence, but it's completely understandable because they don't have the legs. They don't have the, I mean, they got legs, but I mean, they don't have the strength and the, the muscles are still, you know, uh, in, in, in working and growing, but it's very dangerous to be a baby. You see, it's, you see a beautiful, beautiful baby giraffe. And it, they're so beautiful. I love these animals. A baby gazelle. They're so beautiful, so cute. But then at the same time, it's dangerous too because of the lions who roam around seeking to devour. But the exact same thing exists for the brand new believer in Christ. It's beautiful, but it's also dangerous. Now, when you hear me say this, that it's dangerous, you might reflect back if you've been walking with us for a while, reflect back on our study through the Corinthian letters. Because in 1 Corinthians, they were babies too. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, babies. Saints, babies. They were all saints and they were all babies. Uh, except those in the household of Chloe, you know, little uh, pockets of growth and mature saints, but they were in the minority. 
And yet, what do you see the believers in Christ Jesus in Corinth? And then Paul says, okay, because these guys are babies, you guys are all babies, but because the works of the flesh is rampant in this bunch and, you know, the sex, the, the alcohol, the extortion, because that's rampant in these bunch, this bunch, and it's been uncorrected by the, by the overseers, it's been rampant, it's been growing, festering for three years. He says to the others, he says, separate from them. Don't even eat among them. Don't even eat with them. Now that's hardcore. And so we see a picture of this strong urging that Paul has for the saints. You see it in Peter too, and Jude has the same, John has the same, but to grow and mature in Christ. And Paul is saying here in verse 1 of chapter 4, Ephesians, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called to walk in a manner that is becoming of a Christian, not unbecoming of a Christian. I mean, if you hearken back to our study through first and second Corinthians, those who were, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of sexual sin in Corinth. I mean, if you haven't listened to our study through the Corinthian letters, Purpose in your heart to do so because they're hardcore, but they're hardcore to the point where it helps us grow and mature. It will help you. And so, you know, also in Romans, you know, the, the urging to, 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 to walk according to the spirit and make these distinctions between walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit. And Paul says here in verse one, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, how does this happen? How does this happen? Remember, this is a choice. I have to make a choice. Am I going to walk? Am I going to walk in a manner that is becoming or unbecoming? I have a choice to make. You have a choice to make as well. You see? How is this accomplished? Well, he explains in verse 2. In other places too, but here we are in verse 2. How does this happen? With all lowliness, which is humility. And gentleness or meekness, not in and of itself. We see the loneliness, we see the gentleness or meekness or humility and the loneliness, but it's also with long suffering. You see, also with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And to, to bear with one another translates as to put up with one another. <laughs> you see. I love that so much because, I mean, you look in a family setting, you know, there, you gotta admit, there are some relatives that we all have that you just gotta put up with. But the same thing applies in the faith. There are some people that we just have to put up with. Now, understand that they themselves are growing. We ourselves are growing. Remember when we were in the Corinthian letters, the, the, how you would hear us say first grade, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth. And, you know, and, you know, in some cases you'd see us focus on first grade, then would focus on third grade, then would focus on, you know, third grade going to fourth grade and the threats that existed and giving these academic examples. But, you know, if you're, and if you remember our study in Romans, remember the, uh, 20 year old old um, uh, rugby players, big, strong guys and gals too, you know, it, it, it's, 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 you, yeah, guys and gals uh, playing uh, uh, rugby together, a big, strong 20-year-old, you know, 18 to 22, you know, like, like you know, maybe 25, and it's not to say that you can't play rugby with a three-year-old, you can't play rugby with a 
five-year-old. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, if you're going to play rugby with a five-year-old, you're going to mow over a five-year-old and just wreck him, you know, and destroy him. No, because that's not love. Understand that you, we can still, you know, in this allegory, if you will, we still play rugby with the five-year-old, but, you know, maybe it's like, you know, tag, you know, or like flag football or something like that. Maybe it's tag and, you know, it's not, you know, you, because that five-year-old is going to become a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 20-year-old. You see, it's to understand that those who are mature, remember where you came from. You know, you were in first grade once. You know, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been in school, but I mean, you know, when I was, you know, in, uh, I don't know, uh, every 10th grader was at one point in his or her life in first grade. You know, every uh, 8th grader at one point in his or her life was in 5th grade. And it's not to get on a high horse and say like, wow, you know, look how awesome I am. But to remember where we came from, we ourselves were babies too, you see. And so we bear with the five-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 15-year-old. It's not to get in a high horse and, you know, to because that's where pride sets in. And when pride sets in and uh, um, uh, arrogance, when that sets in, look at how that hinders verse 2. You can't have lowliness anymore. You can't have humility and gentleness anymore. You see? And so we have to have this understanding. Listen to our study in Romans 2. I mean, not Romans 2, but Romans as well. Listen to our study through Romans because you'll understand this concept of walking according to the flesh, walking according to the spirit, and then at the same time, having grace and mercy to those who are not as mature. Remember the rugby match. Remember the rugby match. And when you're done with Romans, listen to First and Second Corinthians. All these things to grow and mature and understand, to be equipped from the Word of God. To have these understandings and we bear with one another in love. Remember the greatest gift. First Corinthians 13, the greatest gift is love. Not knowledge. Knowledge is a beautiful gift, but it's not the greatest gift. Prophecy, it's one of many gifts. Interpretation of tongues, one of many gifts. It's not tongues alone for my charismatic and Pentecostal friends. I love you. But it's not tongues alone. You know, oh, but tongues is a sign of the of, of, of the, the, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a sign. Okay. Okay, I get it. But don't forget, it is one of many gifts. You see, love being the greatest. And so we see this in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This endeavoring, it's to be diligent. Being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit. So many people say, oh, church unity, church unity. A lot of false teachers write books about unity. You know, until unity, crazy unity. A lot of false teachers write their books. New York Times bestseller, you know, church unity, church unity. The Pope even cries out, church unity, 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 unity. But in the last days, and you know, in, in previous times too, even in the early church days, unity must be according to sound doctrine. Otherwise, it's mutilation. I know that's hardcore. That's very hardcore. 
You must be a Berean because if you're not a Berean, you're going to hear us say these things and be like, whoa, that, how, that's outlandish. How, how can unity be a bad thing? Well, unity can be a bad thing, but it depends on who you are unified with. You see, and that's one of the dangers behind being these um, political divisions that we're seeing today. And, and most, you know, we see it all over the world, but we're seeing the rise of it in, in, in at levels that have been not seen in modern times. You know, you're starting to see people who are anti-government uh, overreach, which, you know, I don't, I don't like government overreach. But you're starting to see the Christians form alliances with the Catholics, with the Muslims, with the, uh, 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 you know, people who are anti-vaccine. And they're like, for example, there's a, a, a pop singer, I forgot her name, but she came out like, you know, very anti-vaccine. And she's getting all the support from the uh, certain communities of faith. And you say, wow, okay, look, unity in this, unity in this, unity in this. And I get it. I completely understand that. But there's a danger. And the danger is, who are we going to be unified with? Understand that we are a consecration unto the Lord. Be very careful with politics. Be very careful with these geopolitical factions because there is a call from the seven hills and it's from the mother of harlots who also desires unity. These are things that we have to be wise to in these last days. We have to be very, very wise to these things. Now, me personally, I don't like government overreach. I don't like government overreach. It is abhorrent to me. But when we understand the scriptures, there's going to be government overreach big time, big time in the last days. And we're starting to see these things where governments are growing teeth and they're very dangerous. Look at Australia. Look at what's become. Look at what has become of Australia in less than two years. Look at it. It's sad. It breaks my heart. And then at the same time, does that mean that we join these coalitions of, you know, do we do we seek to have unity for the sake of unity? Now, a lot of people would say yes. A lot of people would say yes. Even for you to hear me say that it's dangerous, you might even say, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to listen to this guy anymore. And if that's you, I want you to know that I love you. And I also want you to take all your angst, all your uh, frustration I want you to put it on me, all of it, 100% on it, 100% of it. I want you to put it on me. What I don't want you to do is place it on Jesus Christ. Place it 100% on me. If you hate the things I say, place it all on me. Do not place it on Jesus Christ because he loves you. And I only say that because I have hope. Because a lot of times what happens, sometimes we study the Bible and people, you know, they get mad at me. You know, they'll contact me afterwards or, you know, in a fellowship environment, they used to come and talk to me afterwards and be like, well, I don't like how you say it like this. I don't. And so we have like a little, you know, side studies and say, OK, look, the Bible says X, Y, Z, one, two, three. Now, the problem based on your consternation, it's not with me. It's with the Bible. And so when I say these things like, you know, place it all on me because I want you might close the door to me, 
but I don't want you to close the door to Jesus Christ. Never, never, ever, ever close the door to Jesus Christ. But we have to be very careful with this whisper and the cry from the mother of harlots and even the shout from the mother of harlots. Because notice the Bible says mother of harlots, which tells us she has children. Mother of harlots. And her children are harlots because she's the mother of harlots. And as we see this harlotry spread in the last days, and I'm speaking very spiritual. Harlotry spread in the last days. What does that harlotry look like? Well, that harlotry does not align with scripture. You see, it's not unity for the sake of unity. And so we see in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. You see, it must be according to sound doctrine. That's where I want unity, and that's where I want you to have unity. In the unity of the Spirit that is according to doctrine. Now, in Romans 16, we refer to this quite a bit, and we're going to look at Romans 16 again. But Paul says this to the saints in Rome. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those or mark them. Mark them. Those who cause divisions and offenses. He says this in verse 17, Romans 16, verse 17, that are contrary to the doctrine which you learned. Contrary to the doctrine. And avoid them. You see, a lot of times people say, oh, church unity, church unity, it's a beautiful thing. We got to have church unity. And yes, church unity is a beautiful thing, but it must be in accordance to sound doctrine. And where you find sound doctrine, Genesis to Revelation, where you find sound doctrine being taught, being applied in a fellowship, that's where there's unity, or I should say that's where there should be unity. But oftentimes, in my experience, where I find the sound doctrine, where I find pastors who unashamedly teach the Bible, the good, bad, and the ugly, very often I find almost nobody, very small fellowships. Where I see the large fellowships is where, you know, like, you know, 100 members, 1,000 members. Where I see that, I also find false doctrine. That's just, I'm just saying, you know, that's, that's what I've encountered. That's what I've experienced. You know, where you see a 100-member church, 100 plus, you know, or 1,000 plus or 10,000 plus, you'll very likely find false doctrine. And Paul says, Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. That means that we were not to avoid the pastor who teaches sound doctrine. We're to avoid the one who says, avoid that guy. It's the exact opposite. You see, it's a trap for the last days because Satan wants to kill you. He wants you dead. And he plays dirty. He says in verse 18, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. You see, it's beautiful to be simple. 
It's very, very incredibly beautiful to be simple. But in being simple, we have to be wise. You see, wisdom that is of the Lord. There is worldly wisdom and then there is godly wisdom. We need to have godly wisdom. You and me, we're in the same boat. It's very important. At any point in time, it's very important. But even more so in these last days because these are very treacherous waters that we have to navigate through. And it's going to get worse. And so we see here in Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4, verse 3, to be diligent or endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Church unity is very beautiful. But there are biblical qualifiers to show us what that beauty looks like. Sound doctrine. You see, it's not unity for the sake of unity. It's unity and the truth of God's word. We must be, all of us, you and me, we must be Bereans. Because when you know the scriptures, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the knowledge. When you know these things, when you know what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches, you can sit in any pew and know whether it is safe or dangerous. You can sit in any pew on the face of this globe and know, okay, this place is safe or this place is dangerous or this place is poisonous. You'll know. And so we see this. In verse 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's a lot of ones. You see, unity, oneness. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. I love this so much. Unity. You see how beautiful this oneness is? Now, notice there's one Jesus. Yes, this unity is very, very beautiful. I mean, in verse 4, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I love this so much. Unity in this oneness is incredibly beautiful. But don't forget that our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, when the disciples asked him, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? He told us. He told us there would be many Christs, lowercase c, many Christs. Now, in whom do we have oneness? Is the Christ that we have oneness in, is that Christ in accordance with sound doctrine? These are hardcore questions. Very, very hardcore questions. Because there are some listeners, and it might be you, where you call fellowship, where you call, where you, where you do fellowship, it might be a very dangerous place because sound doctrine is not being taught. And where you see the full package deal, and I don't mean no, no disrespect to the Lord by saying the full package deal, but you look at verse Four, five, and six, and that's quite the package deal. No disrespect to the Lord. 
One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. That's so beautiful. Now, this package deal is only found in one. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Jesus Christ says in the last days there will be many, many Christs. So let's put this in perspective. We'll make it easy. Say there's just 10 Christs. Just 10. How will you know which one is safe? Nine. This is easy. I mean, 10. I'm just saying 10. Say there are 10 Christs. Nine are deadly. Nine will kill you. But one is safe. One is beautiful. How will you? They all look the same. They all look the same. How will you know this one? How will you know which one? Now, when you know sound doctrine, which is a gift of the Spirit, and you're a Berean, you can go to each one. And by what is said, you'll know this is the true Christ. This is the true Messiah. Why? Because it aligns with Scripture perfectly. No deviation from Scripture. It aligns perfectly. You see? Where you'll see the false Christ. Oh, let's go grave soaking, guys. False Christ. Hey, guys, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. False Christ. You see? Oh, God is done with Israel. He's all done. You know, he, he replaced Israel with the church. False Christ. You see? This is very hardcore. The package deal that we see here in verse 4, 5, and 6. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. That is only found in the real Christ Jesus. That is why a lot of people... You know, they have habitual sin or they have, you know, uh, no healing, you know, because, you know, oh, you know, I've been a sex head for 10 years. I've been a crackhead for 10 years, for 20 years. I've been an alcoholic for 30 years and I believe in Jesus Christ and I pray for healing and it never happens. Well, who do you pray to? Who is the Christ that you seek? Even, I know that's hardcore. I know that's hardcore. But as we get further in the events of the last days, we have to deal with these things. I mean, 20 years ago, we had to deal with these things. But even more so today, we really have to deal with these things. And for some of you listeners, you're going to have to hit the eject button. Oh, my pastor says grave soaking is okay. Well, hit the eject button. You see? My pastor says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and I'll still be safe. Hit the eject button. My pastor teaches replacement theology. Hit the eject button. And when I say hit the eject button, you know what that is? That, that means? Come out of her, my people. The angel of the Lord says it in Revelation. Before destruction comes, come out of her, my people. Destruction is coming. You see? Judgment is coming. The only safety that any of us have is in Jesus Christ and the real Jesus Christ. Now, that was easy. I just said 10 Christs. But what if there's 50? What if there's 100? 
thousand, ten thousand, one million, one billion? How will you know? You have to be a Berean. All of us. We must be Bereans and know the scriptures. That's why if you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while and we were in Leviticus, you know, how many times did you hear us learn to make your own bread? Learn to make your own bread. Because something very treacherous is happening in these last days. And we're seeing these false teachers and false prophets, which are many, starting to teach. I mean, it's been happening for a while, but now it's starting to rise up at levels we haven't seen before. And they're teaching these other Christs. So I gave the easy 10. But what about 100? What about 1,000? The package deal that we see in verse 4 through 6, that's only found in one where it is safe for your soul, where it is safe for you and your family, the real Christ Jesus. Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. These are hardcore. Very, very hardcore. Because you hearing this and you understanding this, especially knowing that the mother of harlots maybe has whispered, but now she's starting to shout. The mother of whores, which means her daughters, her adherents, are whores. Mutilation. You see? And I speak spiritually when I say that. I mean, look at Israel. For, for, for God to speak so beautifully of Israel in, in the Old Testament. You know, remember? Remember for Deuteronomy 13? Remember we had the little exercise, Deuteronomy 13 to uh, Isaiah 1? A lot happens in that chunk of time. A lot. For God's promises to be so palpable and beautiful and fresh for Israel in Deuteronomy and all of a sudden to get to the uh, prophets and read, you know, you, you have become harlots, whores. That's hardcore. What has happened? But don't forget, we read about the seven hills in Revelation. And we see the mother of harlots. You see, very, very perilous times. But yet, at the same time, we see this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, this oneness, this unity that is so beautiful. But you and me, we must make sure everything is in accordance to the Word of God. Everything, all of it. It's not like we're, we gotta fit triangles in little square holes because the triangle won't fit. We can try to mash it and mash it as hard as we can. It won't fit. No, the triangle little the triangle shape it has to go in the triangle hole, just like your little baby toys. The square shape has to go in the square hole. The round shape has to go in the round hole. Everything has to fit perfectly in accordance with sound doctrine. We see this in verse 7, but to each one, each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we see Christ's gifts. Now remember, we have the diversity of gifts. If you remember our study through 1 Corinthians. Diversity of gifts. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You'll understand this diversity of gifts. 
Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. I love this so much. You know how this translates? It translates as he captured the prisoners of war, the POWs. He captured them. Straight up rescue mission. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The spiritual gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Remember the greatest gift being love. And in verse 9, we see the parentheses. I love Paul's parentheses so much. <laughs> little little side note, you see? The parentheses we see in verse 9 and it ends in the end of verse 10. He says, now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended. So he descended prior. But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth or the under parts of the earth. Remember in Matthew 12, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember these things. In Matthew 12, verse 40, that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so too will the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. You see? And they were seeking after a sign. Show us a sign. He says it's a wicked and cruel generation that seeks after a sign. You see? No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Matthew 12. And we see this in verse 10. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. You see? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Remember, he was made our study in Hebrews a little lower than the angels. And then when he ascended far above the angels in his earthly ministry, a little lower than the angels. Remember our study in Hebrews? If you've been walking with us for a while. And we see this beautiful truth, but at the same time in verse 11, and he himself, the Lord, he himself gave some to be apostles. This is the, what the Lord, like when Paul, we, we see Paul, remember in our study in the Corinthian letters, how he would always exhort and say to make the distinction between field and worker, field and worker. When Paul says to the saints in Corinth, you guys are the, like kings. You guys are our, you know, our workmanship. You're the field. But we're the workers. We're like the scum of the earth. And now you see the uh, uh, this separation. And I shouldn't say separation, but this distinction between field and worker. I mean, you, you hear us say from time to time, the pew Christian don't don't feel like it, that's a terrible thing to be a pew Christian. It's a beautiful thing to be a pew Christian. But to be a pulpit Christian or serving in the capacity of ministry, it is also beautiful. But there's, there's an ugliness to it. And, and I say that in accordance to the flesh. Because in accordance to the flesh, it's the scum of the earth. You see, just like Paul says. He, Paul, Paul says that. I'm just echoing the words of Paul. You know, you guys, he, he says to the Corinthian saints, he says, you guys are like kings. You guys have it so good. And, you know, praise be to the Lord that the Lord has you in the pew, so to speak, in the field, in his building. But for us, 
the teachers, the apostles, the evangelists, the teachers, you see, the ministry leaders, we're the scum of the earth. We're the scum of the earth. And yet, these, I say so-called scum of the earth, they're so incredibly beautiful. And when I say so-called scum of the earth, I'm, I'm just... I'm just echoing the words of Paul. That's what he says of himself. It's all in obedience to the Lord. The Lord is the one who says, Paul, you know, I want you to do this. Paul, you're my messenger. You're my, you know, you're my vessel that I'm going to use. Chloe, you're my vessel that I'm going to use. Lydia, you're my vessel that I'm going to use. Barnabas, you're my vessel. Peter, you're my vessel. All these beautiful people given by the Lord himself, serving him, servants of the master, you see. In verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, you see. Why does this happen? Why is it? Is it so that they can have nice parking spaces? Is it so they can have fat paychecks? I was reading an article, you know, released the, the uh, tax records of certain famous pastors. Millionaires. Millionaires. 20 million. 200 million. Annual salary. I, I do my air quotes when I say pastors. Why does the Lord give some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Why is it that the Lord gives some? Now, the money preachers, put those to the side. Make the distinction, okay, those are false. The money preachers. Why is it that the Lord does this? Why is it that the Lord takes these people, places them in his field as workers unto the field. Well, we see it right here in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, you see. Now, why do the saints need to be equipped? For the work of the ministry, you see. Now, why do we need the work of the ministry? For the edifying of the body of Christ or the building up of the body of Christ. Now remember, the building must be in accordance to holy blueprints. Remember our study in Exodus, Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. The blueprints given to Moses, he comes down the mountain, he sees things are in disarray. But yet the blueprints were, were fulfilled in the aftermath of repentance in the camp of Israel. But everything even still according to the blueprints given by the Lord. But the same thing applies for you and me. This equipping of the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. Why? For the edifying of the body of Christ, which is the building up of the body of Christ. It's not building up like the world says. You know, you ever see like a, a, a kid who, you know, draws a picture a kid draws a picture, say like a, you know, a 12-year-old draws a picture. And, you know, to you and me, it looks like garbage. But then, you know, the mom says, oh, 
that's so beautiful. You shouldn't be an artist. And so the kid does all these things and, you know, no market. There's no demand for that because, you know, the parent was kind of, you know, glossing over, painting a, a nice glossy picture. Oh, yeah, you should be an artist. Where if that parent were honest, don't you don't, don't ever be an artist. Don't ever be an artist. You know, you're good at baking and maybe you can be a baker or, you know, maybe you can get into this field or that field. But don't be an artist because, you know, I've seen your work and it's not that good. Or, you know, somebody who says, oh, I'm going to be a chef and can't cook for the life of them. And then the parent would say, okay, don't be a chef, whatever. I mean, if you're going to be, if you have a passion to be a chef, go to school and learn. You see? Now, this building up that we see. It's not building up like, you know, hey, good job, kid. Hey, good job, son. Hey, good job, baby girl. It's not that type. I mean, there is an aspect of that. But it must be according to the blueprints. Remember in our study in the Corinthian letters? I mean, how foolish, how foolish would it be if you were driving down the street and you turn the corner and you see a crew of people and they're building a house? And you see, you know, the concrete is laid, the foundation is laid, and then you see the framers there, and, you know, they're putting the framing up. And then all of a sudden, you see a guy there who takes the framing, except on the framing, he's making a frame out of styrofoam. And then out off the side of the styrofoam, he's making this other portion which comes off the side and everything is styrofoam. That would be so foolish. Because number one, you know, number one, that's dangerous. Because to have a, a, a framing that's styrofoam, it's not going to hold anything. You might be able to place some weight on it. But in the course of time, you know, a storm is going to come and it's going to fall. Why? Because it's styrofoam framing. Now, the person didn't follow the blueprints. The blueprints never state use styrofoam. You see? The blueprints of God are in accordance to his word. And so this edifying of the body of Christ, this building up of the body of Christ, it must be with sound doctrine. According to the blueprints. And when you see this alignment to the blueprints, and when I say blueprints, I'm speaking of Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. That's where you see the package deal of verse 4 through 6. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And I know that's hardcore. Because some of you listeners whom I love, I love you. You're going to have to make these hardcore decisions. Oh, but my friends go to this fellowship and they've been friends for 15 years, 20 years. And I love these people so much. Okay. Then I say to you, come out of her, my people. But then I also say this, bring your friends. Bring your friends. This is how home fellowships start. Because churches go crazy. And remember, it is prophesied. The last day's church, the biblical model of the last day's church, and put church in air quotes, the biblical model of the last day's church is false apostate Entering apostasy or true. You see, if you're in one of three fellowships, that is false apostate or entering apostasy, you have to jump ship because that's dangerous. You have to jump ship 
And I say, come out of her, my people. You say, wait, I, I like my friends. I like my friends. We've been friends for 10 years, 20 years. Lifelong friends. She was there at the birth of my child. He was there at this and that. And, you know, we're good friends and all these. Okay. Bring your friends. Jump ship together. Home fellowship. You say, I, I can't do the home fellowship. There, there are listeners, just so you know, there are listeners who gather at a table Somebody brings their phone. They all have phones. The majority of them have phones. They put the phone on the table and they hit play. And that's what we listen to. As we study these messages together, we study the Bible. That's how some home fellowships conduct their service, if you will. Studying the word of God. Everybody has their Bible open. And they put the, the phone there on the table and they listen. A lot of times, you know, if you get into this mindset of, oh, I'm, what do I do? You know, I got to stay here because... My friends are here and I'm going to stay here. Certain fellowships are very, very, very dangerous for you. In this life and even more so in the life to come. Because the package deal that we see in verse 4 through 6. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. It is only found only found in sound doctrine. I know this is hardcore. But we're living in very perilous times. Not inexcusable 50 years ago, 100 years ago, but even more so now. This equipping of the saints in verse 12 that we read, there's a purpose behind it. It's not just equipping the saints so we can, you know, have these things. I mean, we, we're going to study in a couple, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're going to study these weapons of spiritual warfare. It's not just so that we can carry them. We got to use them. You know, we don't, we don't carry shields for the sake of carrying a shield. We got to use it. We don't put on the breastplate and the helmet just to have extra weight. No, they have to be used. They're going to get the dings. They're going to get the dents. Why? Because we're engaging. And don't forget the sword. We don't carry the sword for nothing. We have to use it. Going on offense. Equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You see? And why that? For the edifying of the body of Christ. Look how Paul edifies. Look how Paul edifies. You see? We have to make these distinctions because, I mean, you look at the, I mean, let's look at Corinthians, the, the Corinthian saints, for example. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, saints. Chapter 3, saints. Babies, but saints. Remember in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, he says, you guys are, you know, I, I fed you with milk and, you know, I, you guys are still on milk. You guys are still babies because you're still carnal. You see? And then we get into chapter 5. Okay. You want to walk according to the flesh? Okay. you All you other ones separate from these people. You say, whoa, that's so mean. Paul's so mean-spirited. No, that's how he edifies. The edification, the building up of the body of Christ is not without chastisement. 
not without chastisement. Edification is not without chastisement. Never forget that. Remember, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. You and me, we yield to the Lord because when we are the Lord's workmanship, when we are, I want to say if we are, but I'll say when we are the Lord's workmanship, you and me both, we yield to him. You can have any preconceived notions about anything. But when you're the Lord's workmanship, you and me, we yield to him. Oh, but I believe that X, Y, Z is okay. And I read my Bible and the Bible says X, Y, Z is wickedness. Okay, so I'm going to take the Bible as a suggestion and I'm still going to believe my X, Y, Z because I don't want to yield. Well, that's not yielding. That's not obedience. That's reflective of the heart. But if I believe X, Y, Z, oh, I've been doing this my whole life. X, Y, Z is so awesome. It feels so good. It's permissible and no big deal. And then I read the Bible and boom, it says anybody who does X, Y, Z is going to burn in hell. Now I have a choice to make. Okay, I don't want to burn in hell. So I'm going to deny X, Y, Z and align to Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. Choice. You see, that's edification. That's one of several aspects of edification. There is a painful aspect of edification depending on how one is edified. Because, you know, I've had people come to me after a message. Oh, you know what? I want to come to church and feel good about myself. I want to listen to a message and feel good about myself. Well, listen. I want that too. I want all of us to listen and feel beautiful about ourselves. But I'll say this. It is 100% impossible. 100% impossible without obedience to Jesus Christ. Feeling good about yourself is 100% impossible without obedience to Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ. Remember in the easy example, 10 Christs. Nine Christs have no big deal. You know, you want to beat on your wife and cheat on your wife and go to the strippers and do the gambling and, you know, have your wife and have, you know, do the strippers and then have, you know, five on the side and do all these things. The fake Christ will say, oh, no big deal. God is love. God is gracious. No big deal. That's what a fake Christ would say. But the real Christ says, do not be deceived. Neither lying fornicator will enter the kingdom of heaven. You see? Fake Christ will permit all these things. Fake Christ will, no, you want to feel good about yourself? Come on, do your crack, go do your sex, do your alcohol. No big deal. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's what the fake Christ will say. But the real Christ? Don't do those things. And the real Christ will also give you his helper, the Holy Spirit. You see, a seal. The helper. That's that's the biblical model. I mean, you know, the little paraphrase of the biblical model. And we learn 
But these apostles in, in verse 11, that he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Well, we see why. For the equipping, for the work of the ministry, and for edification. Gifts unto the body of Christ. You see? An apostle who deviates from the word of God is not an apostle of Jesus Christ. A prophet who deviates from the word, the, the Genesis to Revelation, the word of God, is not of the Lord. An evangelist, pastor, teacher who deviates from the word of God. These are dangerous people. Oh, but he's so nice. You know, he says jokes. He's so nice. Listen. We're in very, very dangerous times. And it, it, it might seem too early. It might seem too early. But as we get further, once the 70th week of Daniel starts, and then we hit the middle of the 70th week when the Antichrist is revealed, it will literally be hell on earth. Hell on earth. And that's when these things will be exposed in a very dangerous sense because now it's judgment which comes first to the house of God. Make your choice now. Jump ship now. If you're in one of those fellowships where the pastor calls glitter the Holy Spirit and he comes down, you know they call it the holy laughter. Jump ship. Get in the ark. Get in the ark, which is Jesus Christ. You see, very hardcore now. Difficult now. Even to fathom these things right now at this particular juncture in time. Very difficult to comprehend these things. But in the long run, it is safe. You see, it is safe for you, your soul, in this life and the life to come. Everything you see, the, the edification of the body of Christ, it must be in accordance to the blueprints. In verse 13, till we all come or till we all arrive is how it translates. Now, there are several things that we see here in verse 13. One of them being to the unity of the faith. You see, it, it, is it just unity? No, it's not just unity. And he says, writes, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But does it end there? Is it just so we can have unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? No, there's more. It's to keep doing it to a perfect man so that you and me can be complete. That's how it translates. To a perfect man or to a complete man or of full age, to maturity, you see? You and me, male, female, I don't care. Maturity. A complete man, a complete woman of full age maturity. That's why, you know, you hear people say, oh, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. And understandably, we're all sinners. But we can sin less and less and less and less. That's why sometimes I hear people say, oh, we're all sinners. 
I wonder if that's a cop-out. Oh, we're all sinners. We're all... No, it's, it's true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And a person comes to Christ, male, female, comes to Christ. Now, what happens when that person comes to Christ? Does that mean that, you know, an alcoholic comes to Christ and stays alcoholic? The sex head comes to Christ and stays a sex head? You see, no, it doesn't work that way. Remember, Jesus Christ says, go and sin no more. I wonder if people say, oh, we're all sinners as a cop-out to make excuse for sin. Oh, I have habitual sin. It's no big deal. A little crack here, little alcohol here, little sex over here. No big deal. They're just strippers. No big deal. Little gambling over here. No biggie. No, it's a huge deal. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then a soul comes to Christ. But what happens when that soul is now a believer in Jesus Christ? Now comes obedience to Jesus Christ. Not saved by works, but being perfected through obedience to Him. You and me yielding to Him. Being perfected. That's that's the model. Verse 13. Till we all come, till we all arrive to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of Man. To a perfect man. But what does this perfect man look like? Or a perfect woman look like? What does this look like? I say that for my sisters in Christ. What does that look like? To the measure. He says here. He writes here. To the measure or to the degree. Of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Better stated. Would be to the degree of the. Or or, or to the degree. Or as big as. The fullness of Christ. You see how powerful this is? You and me, when we're born in the flesh, in accordance to Adam, you know, we're formed in our mother's womb, muscles, sinews being put together. You know, when you were in the mother's womb, I knew you, I formed you. That's what the Lord says. And so we're born. We come out of our mother's womb. We breathe oxygen. You think the Lord is done with you? No, he's not. He is not done with you. That's when Satan starts to do his work. Starting to teach little children. Oh, don't believe in God. You know, let's, you know, do this transvestite story hour. Don't believe in God. Those Christians, don't listen to them. Little children, sex education for preschoolers, sex education for kindergartners, age four, public school, publicly funded. Now they have these uh, proposals on, you know, a uh, uh, government funded, a uh, government sponsored childcare, new laws, legislation coming to play for childcare, preschool age, even earlier. Now for that to be government sanctioned, think about what they're going to be teaching kids at that point. Based on what they teach kids today. You see? A child comes out of his or her mother's womb. God's not done with you. Now, age one, two, three, four, you know, child care, government sanctioned child care. Think about the sexual education that's going to be put into those kids. Why? Because Satan wants to kill those kids. 
and he'll give them lies and feed them lies. And all of a sudden, that kid is closed off. God is not done. And when I say closed off, I don't mean, I mean that their heart grows harder and harder. It's very difficult for a hard heart to receive the things of the Lord. Because a, a heart can grow in that callousness. But, you know, I also rejoice in the fact that the Lord, the Lord himself, does a mighty work. A mighty, mighty, my heart was so hard. My heart was so hard, but not impenetrable. And praise be to the Lord, because by God's grace and his goodness and his mercy and his love, I felt so dirty. I felt so filthy. I felt so, like I could take a million showers and I would still be filthy. And I came to Christ. When you're born into Adam, coming out of your mother's womb, God formed you, but he's not done with you. Now comes the unseen, so to speak, and I speak about faith. Faith. But in order for that to happen, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. And that's called being born again. Not of the flesh, not of Adam, but in the spirit and of Christ. Now, if you're listening and you're not a believer, or even if you're lukewarm and you're playing games with the Lord, be honest, you know, when I was lukewarm 20 plus years ago, I knew I was lukewarm. I liked being lukewarm because, you know, I had one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And it's like, you know, I liked my alcohol. I love Jesus Christ, but I also love my alcohol. And the Lord messed me up. Hardcore. He messed me up. I want nobody to, to have a serious walk with the Lord the way that I did because I learned the hard way. And because I learned the hard way, now I'm telling you, don't do that. Don't do that. You obey Jesus Christ. You listen to him. You learn. You study. You be a Berean and you obey him. You see? Obedience. Yielding to him. Don't forget, with the helper. With the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Pericletus. And that's called being born again. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior right here, right now, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Christ and you come back and you listen as my new brother, my new sister in Christ. Don't play games with him. Very serious things that we discuss because it pertains to your eternity. Your eternal destination is at stake. Heaven or hell. Straight up. You believe in Jesus Christ. You receive him as Lord and Savior. Now what happens? Now we have to grow. To a perfect man, he says in verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see? In Christ. That we should, in verse 14, no longer be children. Very interesting. No longer be children. That's, you know, being a child in Christ is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I mean, if you're a child in Christ and you just received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you just freshly committed your life to him, praise be to the Lord. It is so beautiful. 
If you've been a Christian for a month, you're a baby believer. It's so beautiful. But don't stay that way. Don't stay a baby. Now we have to grow and mature. You see? No longer be children. No longer be children. Why don't pastors like to teach this? No longer be children. And then to understand what that looks like. Well, we see it in Corinthians. The Corinthian saints. We see it. In, in 1 Corinthians, well, I keep referencing it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. This is Paul saying to saints, I cannot speak to you like you guys are spiritual. Just, just think about that for a moment. Think about that. Paul, beautiful Paul with an immense well of knowledge, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, a vessel of the Lord, an apostle of Christ, a, a prisoner of Christ, an ambassador in chains, a well of knowledge and deep spiritual things. And he, as the spiritual father of the saints in Corinth, remember he speaks of them like they passed through his birth canal he has no birth canal but spiritually speaking they're like his own children and he's saying to these believers saints i cannot speak to you like you guys are spiritual that's sad why paul why can't you give these deep spiritual things to the saints in corinth why paul what is it is it that you're mean you don't want to? You want to hoard this knowledge for yourself? Is that why, Paul? Because the guy across the street, he says you were mean. This guy, this gal over here, they says you were mean. You know, you're, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. They said you were crazy. Why, Paul? Are you being mean? You don't want to speak to them like they're... Look, they're Christians. They're, they're saints. You refer to them as saints, and yet you don't want to give them these deep spiritual things. No, it's because of them. It's because of the Corinthians. I can't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, like babies. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. You see, still not able. For you are still carnal. You are are still carnal for where there are envy strife and divisions among you are you not carnal and behaving like mere men paul why don't you want to speak to us like we're spiritual look we believe in jesus christ why don't you want to give it we know that you're a well of knowledge in christ why don't you want to give it to us paul is it because you're mean you want to be cruel to us paul no it's because of you it's because if you guys are babies, you got, I mean, who, what mother would give a brand freshly born baby? What mother would give that child pork chops? The child has no teeth. What mother would, you know, put pork chops in his or her mouth? 
and expect that child to grow. It's foolish. No, a mother gives the child milk. You see, and solid food, the Corinthian saints could not receive solid food. Why? Because they were carnal. Now, in order for the saints to receive solid food, okay, you guys want you 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 guys want uh, spirit. You 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 want me to speak like you're spiritual? Okay, we'll do that. For you who are behaving like babies, you know, three years and you're you know you the works of the flesh for three years. It's unrepented of. You haven't been corrected. And if you were corrected, you didn't heed that correction. Okay. I'll speak as, as to spiritual. But for this group, separate from. It's not for them. They cannot receive these things. Now, this remnant, you can receive it, but it's not without chastisement. Remember Paul when he says, do I, please, do, do, I, uh, do I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Do I praise you in that? I do not praise you. Chastisement. For the remnant. And then we get into the latter parts of 1 Corinthians. Then we get into 2 Corinthians, spiritual warfare. It's for the remnant. You and me both. Once babies in Christ. But does that mean we're to stay babies? No way. No way. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. Verse 14 that we should... No longer be children. Why do we see children in fellowships today? And I speak spiritually. I don't mean, I mean we see kids sometimes, but I'm talking about adults who behave like children, like babies, the works of the flesh. Why is it? No maturity. And if there's no growth, no maturity, what does that mean? Where in the world are the teachers? Where in the world are the pastors? You say, oh, but we're growing. Look, we're blessed of the Lord. We have a thousand members in our church. Look, we're blessed of the Lord. We're growing. I'm not talking about that. That's, that's carnal growth. I mean, it's spiritual growth in one degree, but in another sense, it's carnal growth because what you're looking at is the sheer numbers. What does numbers have to do with depth? You see? What, what do numbers have to do with depth when there is no depth? Oh, look, we're growing. We have a thousand members. We're growing. We have 5,000. Oh, we're growing. We have 10,000. Now we're officially a mega church. Better is the fellowship with 10. Better a million miles deep instead of one inch deep. They're 10 miles deep. Why? Because they're growing and maturing. And not just growing and maturing for the sake of knowledge, but it's to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to the degree or as big as the fullness of Christ. You see? In verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Does that ring a bell? Because we see that all over the place. I'm talking, the world is the world. I'm talking about inside the church. We see this all over the place. People who are tossed to and fro, which translates as to fluctuate, and carried about, which is to be 
transported here and there. They fluctuate and they transport themselves here and there with every wind of doctrine, which is better, better translated as with any wind of doctrine. You see? New York Times bestseller. So I'm going to put my Bible down and I'm going to read the New York Times bestseller. You know, I'm going to read this book about crazy love so I can learn about love. Stupid. You're going to put the Bible down and listen to uh, read a book called Crazy Love when the Bible teaches about love, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Fools. And then you're going to read about, you know, crazy unity or until unity to learn about church unity. When the Bible speaks about unity according to sound doctrine, the package deal, verse 4 through 6, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And you're going to pick up the New York Times bestseller? Read about crazy love? Read about unity until unity Are you going to go grave soaking as well? That's what we see happening. And where you see that happening, you also see what is written in verse 14. People who are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine or people who fluctuate and transport here and there with any wind of doctrine. Now, How does this happen? How does this happen? It is written in verse 14. By the trickery of men. Which translates as, by the deception, the fraud, and the gambling. Now, you say gambling. I mean, I get deception and fraud, but where do you get gambling? Well, in the Greek, it's, uh, uh, it, it, uh, it, 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 it translates as like a cube, like the dice, you know, like you, you roll dice. You know, you have a cube and it has, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the one, the two, the three, the four. And so you roll the dice and it's like, by, like rolling the dice. That's how it translates. This deception and fraud and gambling, but in the manner of like rolling the dice. You're going to roll the dice with your soul? You're going to roll the dice with eternity? When the Bible says that love, love agape is a gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift. That's what the Bible says. Sound doctrine says that love is a gift, the greatest gift. And you're going to put the Bible aside and then read a book called Crazy Love to learn how to love when love is a gift. Now, That's what I mean when I say this is hardcore. These are very, very hardcore things. We're living in very, very dangerous times. This happens by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness, which translates as the sophistry, the sophists. Have you ever listened to the sophists? Now, think that when you hear the word sophist, think of like sophisticated. Because they like to speak with the sophistication. 
They like to use the big words and they like to use the, you know, the, uh, uh, the vernacular, certain vernacular. They like these buzzwords and they like to speak as like they, they pretend to be the academics. They want to be smart. They want a certain level of sophistication. But the sophists are purposely, they know who they serve. It's not the Lord. They know who they serve. And it's cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, which translates as it's like lying in wait. Lying in wait. Just like the lion who lies in wait, waiting for whom he may devour. You see? And all of a sudden, the baby gets too close. The lion jumps. The baby can get away for a little bit. But the legs are weak. Can't gallop as fast, can't sprint as fast as the adult gazelle. And baby gets eaten, destroyed, killed. You see? These are, these are things that we have to be very honest with ourselves about. But at the same time, I mean... We think about the eternal ramifications of not adhering to sound doctrine, which are, you know, that, that's plenty in and of itself. But I, I can't speak for anybody. I can only speak for myself. I want to abide in Christ. I want to abide in Christ. I don't, I don't want to abide in a fake Christ. You know, Jesus Christ says there are many Christs. And I gave the easy 10. But in a landscape of a thousand Christs. I want to abide in the real Christ. And I want you to abide in the real Christ. I can't make anybody do that. But you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Everything must align with the Word of God. Every You know, you hear Paul prophesy or you read Paul and Peter and James and Jude and John and these prophecies. But their prophecies align perfectly with what Jesus says in the Gospels. Their prophecies align perfectly with what Daniel and Amos and uh, Ezekiel say. Why? Because it's the same Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord, and them all as servants in the Master's house in obedience to Him. I don't want you to be tossed to and fro and carried about with every in any wind of doctrine. Don't follow the New York Times bestsellers. Oh, but my Bible teacher, my pastor, my, my home fellowship teacher... He wants us to do these. She wants us to do these. Well, there's your problem right there. That's nice. A person can say, do this. A person can say, do that. But whether or not you do it, that's between you and the Lord. I say to you, don't do it. <laughs> but I can only teach I say, better is the soul who yields to the word of God. Better is the soul who yields to the spirit of our Lord. And the spirit of our Lord will never deviate from the word of God. 
Because, oh, I'm going to observe the Sabbaths in accordance to the law and the Holy Spirit is directing me to. No, the Holy Spirit will never direct a person into the law. The, uh, the Holy Spirit, the real Holy Spirit, there are many spirits, but the real Holy Spirit will direct a person out of the law and to Christ. You see? Listen to our study through Galatians. If you, if you want to know more about the law and the purpose of the law, listen to our study through Galatians and you'll understand. It's hardcore. I know it's hardcore. But there's no other way to live. Now remember this threat. It's written to the saints. It's for inside the church. It's for every saint. I mean, Paul didn't write this letter to, you know, the town of Ephesus. He wrote it to the saints who were in Ephesus. And so we see this in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Now, this is a problem today. Speaking the truth in love. It's a huge problem today. You know why? Why is this difficult today? It's difficult today and it's a problem today because we have the biggest snowflake generation ever. Ever. I mean, I thought the millennials were bad, but the Z generation, they are the biggest snowflake generation. And because parents allow their kids to be their influencers, now parents are becoming the snowflakes. Now you have Generation X and boomers who are snowflakes. We have snowflakes all over the place. And so speaking the truth in love, so many times people say, oh, that's not loving. How dare you tell me not to beat up my wife? That's not loving. How dare you tell me not to do my crack? That's not loving. How dare you tell me not to do my pornography and go to the strippers and, you know, the prostitutes and, you know, do my crack and my Buddha and uh, my, my occult stuff? That's not loving. People have a messed up idea of what love is. I mean... Love came down in the form of a child. I speak of Jesus Christ. And he was beaten and bruised and crucified. People have a messed up idea of what love is. Oh, that's not loving. How dare you say that I shouldn't do my crack? How dare you say I shouldn't beat on my wife? How dare you say I shouldn't go gambling and do the strippers and, you know, do the prostitutes and, you know, do the gambling, the little white lies? How dare you say that? That's not love. And if that's you, I mean, I love you. I love you. But I'll say this. You got a little snowflake in you, my friend. You got a little snowflake in you. To correct another brother, to correct another sister in Christ. Now, only the crucified can correct. Remember that. Only the crucified can correct. If you're a crackhead and you want to correct a brother about crack, no, that's hypocrisy. That's bad judgment. Don't ever do that. I mean, if you're a sex head and you're going to correct another person about sex, don't ever do that. That's called hypocrisy. You know what the Lord did? Said of the hypocrites, read Matthew 23. Whitewashed tombs, a brood of vipers. That's what he says to the hypocrite. Never be a hypocrite. Only the crucified can correct. People say, oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Don't judge lest you be judged. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He says, 
Take the plank out of your own eyes so that you can see clearly so that when you see clearly, you're able to correct. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say, hey, don't go to the strippers when you yourself are going to the strippers. Oh, don't don't be a crackhead when you yourself are a crackhead. That's called hypocrisy. That's called powerless living. There's no power of the Holy Spirit. And hypocrisy is definitely not a good thing. Only the crucified can correct. We see verse 15 speaking the truth in love. And a lot of people today, they have this, they've misconstrued. Oh, I'm going to speak the truth. And, you know, if this guy wants to do his sex and his crack, I'm not going to correct them on that. Well, if you're a pastor, never do that. Never do, never have that mindset. Because if you're a pastor, you have a job to do. I'm, you know, don't beat them up. It's not like, you know, okay, you're going to do this and I'm going to, you know, don't ever do this or else I'm going to do, you know. It's not physical. It's spiritual. Only the Lord can judge. And when it, don't forget, there's, there are more derivatives of the word crino, but the three biggies are crino, anacrino, and diacrino. And only one, only one is not permissible. And that's to condemn to hell. But we can make these judgments and assessments and determinations that we see Paul do in Corinth when he says, okay, he, anacrino and diacrino. He says, okay, you remnant, separate from these people. Take this guy, he's having sex with his dad's wife, take him and commit him, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. It could be in the day of the Lord that he might be saved. It might be that he, he's saved. But that's between him and the Lord. You know, I'm not, I can't condemn him to hell. You see? But I can commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I'm not going to, you know, I can't say you're going to burn in hell. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to burn in hell. Paul's, I can't say that. But I can say to the remnant, okay, separate from these people. You see? Because the Lord, that's, that's the Lord, what the Lord does. He will judge. And so we speak the truth in love. And if you're a sex head, the drugs, the alcohol, you know, the Buddhas and the Ouija boards, the occult, anything that is wicked of the flesh, I say to you, repent. And I speak the truth in love. But yet at the same time, we have to understand that biblical love, truth hurts. Truth is painful. Very painful. But yet you and me, we yield to the word of God and the word became flesh. We yield to him. Why? Because we abide in him. Why? Because we know that the only safety is in Jesus Christ. The real Jesus Christ. And yet we speak the truth in love. We continue to speak the truth in love. I can't tell you how many times. Oh, don't say it that way. Don't say it that way. You hurt my feelings. Don't say it like that. It's not. A lot of times when that happens, it's disobedience to the word of God. I want to come to church and feel good about myself. That's impossible with disobedience. But with obedience, you can feel beautiful. You can feel beautiful. Why? 
because you're not doing the sex anymore. You're not doing the crack. You're not doing the alcohol. You're free in Christ. You're not a slave to sin. You're a slave still, but it's to Christ. You say, oh, how is that a good thing? Slavery. Well, remember our study through the Old Testament? When male or female chooses bond servanthood to his or her master, it's beautiful. It's not a master who beats them. It's a master who loves them. You see? But yet understand that in the sea of false Christ, there are also false prophets, false teachers, false pastors. And by the trickery, as is written in verse 14, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, that's how people become tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But speaking the truth in love, remember, he says in verse 14, no longer be children. How does this happen? Speaking the truth in love. In verse 15, that we may grow up in all things into him. Into him. Remember verse 13, as big as Jesus. To the degree, as big as Jesus, the fullness of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to be a baby. If you're a month as a new Christian... But if you're a month into, as a new Christian, don't stay that way. If you're a baby in Christ and you've been a Christian for 10 years, that's not good. That is not good at all, my friend. I love you. I'm not saying this to hurt you. But that's not good. You know why? Because there's a lion who wants to kill you. I mean, other reasons too. But that's a biggie. You got to admit, that's a biggie. That we may grow up in all things into him who is the head. That's Christ, you see. Don't fluctuate with any wind of doctrine. And if you do fluctuate with any wind of doctrine, maturity in Christ is impossible. Why? Because I put my Bible to the side and I read the New York Times bestseller. I put my Bible to the side and I read, you know, the crazy love, you know, the crazy unity. I read whatever's the New York Times bestseller because I put my Bible to the side. What do you see? I mean, proof is in the pudding. Observe the fruit. Do you see maturity in those who read the New York Times bestsellers? You know what the, you know what these, I'm doing my air quotes. You know what these evangelists and these uh, pastors do? It's a tax scheme. That's all it is. It's a business to them. They, they write these books. And, you know, I say they write these books, but they're really ghostwritten. So they have these books. And so what they do through their publishing companies, and oftentimes the publishing companies is part of their ministry, it's a big tax scheme. They have these books. And then they buy their, their, their books in bulk. So they buy their books in bulk and the publisher reports it and it gets on the New York Times bestseller. Why? Because they themselves are buying their bo their books in bulk. And so they get on the New York Times bestseller. It boosts their profit margins. And then they take these books and they say, well, you know, look, the sticker price is 25 bucks, but I'm going to give you a good deal. I'm going to sell it to you for $18. You see? So they're like double dipping, triple dipping. It's... it's, it's are they writing books for the edification of the saints? 
Because the edification of the saints, the blueprints, are only found in the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. The blueprints are only found in God's Holy Word. And the Word became flesh. You will not find the blueprints in the New York Times bestseller. It's, it's, it's a scheme. It's a text scheme. Profiteers. Their God is their belly. You see? Now, there are authors, Christian authors, who have write, written good books. I'm not trying to say all of them. But the majority, we have to be wise. Remember, we're called to be loving, gracious, and merciful. But never in the Bible do you see a call of God to be stupid. Never. You will never find it. So why do we see it? It's people following other Christs. You see? And yet we grow up into all things, into in, in all things into him who is the head, Christ, in verse 16, from whom, remember, speaking of Jesus, the head, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. You see, this is the closeness of the saints, the oneness of the saints abiding in the real Christ. Don't forget, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Sealed, too, by the Holy Spirit. By what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, one body with many parts. One body, many parts, growing as one, edifying itself. Remember our study in the Corinthian letters? You see the, the Macedonian saints who were an example? Very poor, very poor, begging Paul, Paul, take this money, take this money, begging Paul for the saints, where Paul was going. You see, you see the very example, I mean, you, you juxtapose that in our study through the, through the book of Acts, and that's what you see. You see the saints, Christians, the early church. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the, for the edifying of itself in love, the greatest gift. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. That's what you see among the Macedonians and the remnant of Corinth, the remnant of Galatia, the Ephesians. That's what you see. But you never see Paul saying, okay, guys, let's go grave soaking. You never see Paul saying, God is done with Israel. He's replaced Israel with the church. You never see Peter in misalignment to the prophecies of Ezekiel. Everything aligns perfectly. One body, many parts. Growing as one. Edifying itself. The Macedonian saints saying, here, Paul, take this, this is for the saints. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Joseph. Selling property and giving 100% of the proceeds, laying it at the table, saying, here, this is for the saints. You know, use it. Use it as needed. These needs that arise in the church. You see? You see it. 
And because of this obedience and the uncircumcision people today, they say, oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. He doesn't do those things anymore. You see, it's unbelief. You will never see an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. Continuing in verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Very interesting. No longer walk. What does he say in verse 14? No longer be children. And he says to them, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Futility, which is useless. And it's to be, it translates as a spiritual transient. You see? Futility of mind, a spiritual transient. Have you ever seen a transient? You know, a transient? Straight up crazy. Not all, but a lot. Crazy. And that's the same thing that Paul is saying the futility of their mind. Spiritual transient. And Paul says, hey, don't walk like that. You know, no longer be children. I mean, being a child is beautiful. When you're a child, don't be a child. I mean, don't stay a child. No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. You see? Now, there was an elder of of a certain fellowship who says to me, the church needs to look like the world so that the church can attract the world. Among the most stupid counsel, among the most stupid recommendation from this so-called elder, the church needs to look like the world in order to attract the world. Foolish thinking. Futility of mind in this so-called elder. The world is not worthy of the righteous. The world is at enmity with the righteous because it is at enmity with God. You and me, this remnant of these last days, we are not of this world. We are set apart. We are consecrated unto the Lord Jesus Christ. This mindset Oh, the church needs to look like the world. I don't want any church to look like the world. No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened or having their faculty of the mind darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Now, how does this happen? They're alienated. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Now, does this happen because they're predestined for hell? Does this happen? Are they alienated from God because they're predestined for hell? And I say this for my Calvinist and Reformed friends. Reformed theory. I don't say Reformed theology because it's only a theory. For my Calvinist friends and my Reformed theory friends. Does God predestine a soul to hell? The answer is no. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand. I love you. Calvinist, reform theory people, 
I love you. I don't hate you. But even you, I say to you as well, come out of her, my people, because your brand of, if you want to call it theology, it's wrong. Straight up, it is wrong. In verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, is it because God has predestined them to hell? The answer is no. What does the Bible say? Well, Brother Paul says it here in verse 18. Because of the ignorance that is in them. You see? Ignorance that is in them. The ignorance, how it translates is ignorance and disinclination, which means that there is a reluctance to know, which indicates what? Choice. You and me, we have a choice. Do I obey or do I disobey? Even the non-believers, do I believe or do I not believe? It is not because they're not alienated from God because God predestined them to hell. It's because of the ignorance that is in them, which is a reluctance to know. Why does that happen? Because of the blindness of their heart or the callousness of their heart, you see? The callousness of their heart, which a heart naturally grows hard. Supernaturally becomes soft. And that happens when a person believes in Jesus Christ. Now, once a person believes in Jesus Christ, does that mean their heart stays soft? No, not at all. Not at all. Remember Hebrews 3, something we refer to quite a bit in chapter Hebrews 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, oh, God predestines these people to hell. Jesus died on the cross, but only in a saving way for the elect. That's false doctrine. And I say to you, my Calvinist friend, I say to you, my Reformed theory friend, I love you, but come out of her, my people. What we see happening among the Calvinists and Reformed is that these teachers are starting to, I shouldn't say starting, they, because it's been happening for a while, but they're teaching that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. The mark of the beast has no bearing on your eternal destination, which is a lie from the pit of hell. Direct contradiction to the Bible. Not just, not like, not like an easy, you know, like, you know, this is a, a soft seduction. This is just like straight up direct contradiction to the word of God. That's what we're seeing. Now, if you're Calvinist, you know, listen to our, our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. But then also a study called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And you'll hear one of the, I'm doing my air quotes, one of the great reformers advocate the mark of the beast. Never, ever, 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 ever take the mark of the beast. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, but he's got this. They got the study Bible. They got the institution. They got this. That's nice. Never take the mark of the beast. So how is a person alienated from the life of God? Oh, because God predestines them to hell. Nope. That's not what the Bible says. 
Remember, he's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish. Oh, but that's written to the church. Okay. If it's written to the church, then what does that say of once saved, always saved? If the if it's if it's salvation or perishing and it's written to the church, both arguments, both arguments, they don't, they don't, they can't stand up to scripture. God is not willing that any should perish. And I've had these conversations with the reformers, the Calvinists. God is not willing that any should perish. Oh, that was written to the church. Okay, it's written to the church and. If it's either, if it's written to the saints who the, the, the elect don't have to worry about, you know, uh, perishing, then why did Peter say that? You see? Calvinism, reformed theory. I love you. But the dogma does not hold up to scripture, which means what? It's a sinking ship, which also means what? Jump ship, which also means what? Get in the ark. Get in the ark. The real Christ. The real Jesus. Not the fake. The real. It happens as is written here in verse 18, because the blindness of their heart or the callousness of their heart, who being past feeling, being past feeling, this is to become apathetic. It is no enthusiasm or little or no emotion. It is void of feeling. No feelings. Being past feeling have given themselves over. Notice it's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. How many times do we see that? Old Testament, New Testament. Given themselves over. Self-inflicted. To lewdness. To work all uncleanness, which is impurity, with greediness. Very interesting. Greediness, which is eagerness for gain. Financial gain. You see? I'll give you an example. Do you know somebody who, in the past, walked with Jesus? Maybe went on a mission trip, went with you on a mission trip. You've seen them lead in worship. You've heard them worship the Lord, you know, study the Bible. And you're like, wow, this is such an awesome brother. This is such an awesome sister. Not they're awesome, but I mean, like, look at what the Lord is doing with them. And then in the course of time, something happens to where they hate the Lord now. They want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Well, that's a process. That's a process. Their heart became hard. It's the deceitfulness of sin. Their heart became hard. And then becoming, being past feeling. Little or no emotion. Void of feeling. And they give themselves over self-inflicted to impurity. And I love how Paul writes here with greediness. Because oftentimes the lure is money. You see? Oftentimes the lure is money. It's sad. And because people are tossed to and fro with any wind of doctrine, they fluctuate. They're wishy-washy with doctrine. 
There's no stability from a doctrinal standpoint. Zero stability. Now, because of that, people come up with excuses and they say, well, he was never saved. She was never saved. Oh, but you know, that person, no, they, mostly the Calvinists and reformers who, who say things like that, they believe wrongly. They believe wrongly. It's not like, oh, maybe this person was never saved because what they're attempting to do is align with the once saved, always saved theory. What they're attempting to do with align with the predestined for hell or heaven brand of theology, which I don't call it theology. I call it a theory. But the theory is false. It does not align with scripture. A person can be on fire for the Lord, love the Lord, fear the Lord, and everything beautiful, worship the Lord and glorify the Lord. But what happens in the course of time when the attacks of Satan come? The deceitfulness of sin and the heart that was once soft becomes harder and harder and harder, leaving circumcision. And then we see the blindness come, the callousness of heart, which is a process, which leads to ignorance, which leads to being alienated from the Lord, which leads to understanding being darkened. And that's when we get into Romans 1, the wrath of God, which comes to individuals. The wrath of God is coming across the earth and on the land, but the wrath of God comes on individuals. You see? Now, since I said it, let's go to Romans 1 really quick. Just so you know. And in Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The suppression of truth. And truth is painful. You know, when you hear us say the snowflake generation and the danger of being a snowflake, it's not the, you know, like, oh, look, he's being mean. He's being mean again. He's talking about I'm a snowflake and that's, that hurts my little feelers. I don't want to hurt your little feelers. But if you're a snowflake, and as a snowflake, you don't like to hear these things, and you reject these things, well, th there's a price to pay for the rejection of truth. There's a price to pay for the suppression of truth. And I don't want that on you. I don't want that on anybody. Now you see what you perceive to not be love is in actuality and eternally speaking, love. Love. Why? Because I want you alive in Christ. I read about weeping and gnashing of teeth and I don't want anybody there, including the snowflake. If you're a snowflake and you, know, you still haven't yielded to the Lord, I say, cut it out. Don't do that anymore. Be a snowflake. Let today be the last day of being a snowflake. Don't be that way. I mean, that's, that's what's so beautiful. Just, okay. Once, once it's revealed that this is you, don't do that anymore. You say, well, easier said than done. Okay, I get it. You need a helper, capital H. You need the Holy Spirit. 
You need to yield to the Lord, the real Lord, the real Jesus, in accordance to Genesis and Revelation. The Word became flesh. And when the truth is suppressed in unrighteousness, I, I, I think this is very interesting what we see in verse 18 of Romans 1. The suppression of truth is not just like, hey, don't say those things anymore. The suppression of truth is in the behavior of unrighteousness. Because in verse 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are, are clearly seen, being understood by things that are being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because on, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Very interesting. What is written in Romans 1 aligns perfectly with Ephesians 4 aligns perfectly. It is a process. You see how crafty Satan is? Can you see, my beautiful friend, how crafty Satan is? People who are on fire for the Lord one day. And in the course of time, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, he's very patient. But in the course of time, they have left God. They have become apostate. You see? We read Romans 1, you see, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. Very sad passages in Romans 1. But don't forget what we see here in Ephesians 4, verse 19. It's self-inflicted, giving themselves over. People say, you know, oh, look, you know, uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Absolutely, a biblical truth. He did harden Pharaoh's heart. But don't forget, that was judgment. But how many times do you hear Moses, in obedience to the Lord, pleading with Pharaoh? Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then again, let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then, boom, judgment. God hardened his heart. Same thing. Romans 1, Ephesians 4, same thing. God gave them over, yes. Precursor to that, they gave themselves over. No breastplate, no shield, no helmet, no sword. They weren't equipped. Why weren't they equipped? Why weren't they equipped? Oh, but they had a pastor. Was the pastor of the Lord? Remember verse 11, he himself gave, gave. Now, in order for the Lord to give an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher, in order for the Lord, Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ, in order for the Lord to give that to saints, those people, the Apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, those must be 
owned by the Lord. Meaning, they must give themselves over to the Lord. Not my will, Lord, but thy will. They now are in a bondservant of the Lord. An ambassador in chains. A prisoner. Remember verse 1? I therefore, the prisoner. The prisoner of the Lord. The real Jesus. The equipping of the saints is a big deal. Because without equipping of the saints, people fall. Saints fall. There needs to be equipping of the saints, which must align with the blueprints that are found in Holy Scripture. And so we see this in verse 19, who being past feeling have given that, that you know, let's just pause here for a moment. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, and I rejoice with you. We're believers in Jesus Christ. But I have a question to you, for you. Where is the change? Where is the change? And these are things that you can do in your own walk with the Lord on a monthly basis, weekly basis. Now, if you came to Christ as a sex head, and that was five years ago, 20 years ago, and you're still a sex head, if you came to Christ last month and you're still on crack, if you came to, to, to the Lord 20 years ago and you're still on crack, you're still on alcohol. Now, I don't want to say, well, you're going to burn in hell. I don't want to say that. But that should cause some concern. It should. And as on communion Sundays, as we partake of the elements and we take inventory ask yourself the question well why is it why is it why is it that i came to christ as a sex head as a crackhead as an alcoholic you know and i'm the same i, I use the big ticket items sex drugs rock and roll you know i use the big ticket items but it could be other things It could very well be that. Now, the answer to that, it, it can be multifaceted. It could be you're under the, a false teacher. It could be you're, you know, oh, you know, if you're under a false teacher, they're teaching a false Christ. It could be that it's you which is refusing to yield to the Lord, to the, the real Jesus. It, it could be mold, it could be that you're not equipped. Now begs the question: Why are you not equipped? Is it because of the teacher, the pastor, or is it because of you? An unwillingness. But this process—that's the deceitfulness of sin. Satan knows these things. Satan, Satan knows the blueprints, probably better than anybody. Satan knows the blueprints. And he uses those things to help, to, to make you, or to attempt to make you deviate from holy blueprints. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, it's a little crack, no big deal. You know, strippers, no big deal. A little pornography over here, no big deal. Ouija board, no, no biggie. Little white lie, no big deal. See, tax cheap, no big deal. 
And the Christians, the saints, baby saints, the ones who are uh, children tossed to and fro, carried about by any wind of doctrine, what do they what do they say? Oh, we're all sinners. We're all sinners, you know. We're saved by grace, you know. Wait a second. It's true that that's how we're saved. But what about staying saved? What about putting on the full armor of God? And getting chinks in our armor. Getting dents, big old dents on our shield, on our helmet, our breastplate. What about those dents? You become a believer, you grow, you put on these, everything's nice and shiny. Nice shiny helmet, nice shiny breastplate, nice shiny. Everything's nice and shiny because it's, you know, fresh issue. But in the course of time, it's still going to be strong. But you're going to get the dents and the beautiful, beautiful dents, which means what? You're engaging. You see? Fully equipped. Why is it? You know, take inventory. When you take inventory of your heart, it's like, why is it? Why is it that I came to Christ on crack and I'm still on crack? Why is it that I came to Christ on sex and I'm still on sex? Why is it that I came to Christ on whiskey and I'm still on whiskey? And that's what happens. It's an attack. It's satanic. That's what happens. Look, verse 18. Their understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God. How does this happen? Oh, they're predestined. No, that's in accordance to a false theology. It's a theory of men. But it happens because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling. You know, when the Lord... The Lord gives a new heart and a new spirit. And if you're void of feeling, that should also be cause for concern. You see, a new heart, a new spirit given by the Lord Jesus Christ, given by him. His workmanship, his handiwork inside of you, my beautiful brother, inside of you, my beautiful sister. These are hardcore things that we, you, me, we have to deal with in a manner that aligns with Scripture as we choose to abide in Christ. And that's this dangerous element that we see in spiritual warfare, the deceitfulness of sin, what we read in Hebrews 3. But you, in verse 20, I love this so much, you have not so learned Christ or you have not... In this manner, learned Christ. Whew. I meant you read that and like, whew. I'm glad this doesn't apply to me. But he says this, you have not so learned or you have not in this manner learned Christ. But he says this in verse 21. If indeed you have heard him. You see, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, a pastor can teach, but the listener has to hear. A teacher can teach, but the listener has to hear. You see? Not with carnal ears, but with ears to hear. Just like we see in the law. 
You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Isaiah even referencing deafness to the law. Do you not hear the law? It's a different set of ears. It's not ears according to the flesh, ears according to Adam. It's very deep spiritual ears, ears to hear. I love that so much, which the Lord gives us when we're his handiwork. And don't forget, you know, you're born into Adam. Now, if you're listening and you still haven't received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you just feel this in your heart. I've been there and I have, at you know, 20 plus years ago, I have rejected that. Don't make the mistake that I made. Sometimes I've had these conversations with people. Like, yeah, I, you know, I feel like, you know, like I should, but I'm afraid. I, I don't want to. Listen to me. If that's you and you feel like you should commit your life to Jesus Christ, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the invitation of the Lord saying, come. Receive Jesus Christ. Don't ignore him. Yield to him. Don't make the mistake that I made where, you know, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. It, you know, I felt that too 20 plus years ago. And I rejected. Why? Because I liked the world better than I did the Lord. And, you know, I learned the error of my ways. But I don't want that for you. You received Jesus Christ. I thought, you know, what I had in the world was much better. But I thought wrongly. It was a lie from the pit of hell. It was a facade. Do not make that mistake that I made. I tell you these things from experience. It's not just, you know, oh, I read this in the New York Times bestseller, so oh, I'm going to use this. Have you ever seen people, they take their notes. Oh, yeah, I'm going to read the New York Times bestseller and look, I'm going to take these notes. So, you know, I'm going to teach it to the people and I'm going to teach like this and I'm going to teach like this. And it's like, what is that? What is that? The, the blueprints that the Lord gives, very holy, very, very holy. You're not going to find it in the New York Times bestsellers. It's only found in the word of God. That's where the power, go to the source. See? And he says this in verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, servants of the Lord do not deviate from their master. Servants of Satan, they always deviate from Jesus Christ. But servants of Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, Genesis to Revelation, Jesus, the word became flesh. Servants of him, they never deviate from their master. You see, it's very important to understand. Peter, Paul, Jude, John, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, Moses, all these beautiful people. In obedience to their master, they teach the words as given them. They proclaim the words as given them. And the words are from the Lord. Genesis to Revelation. When you hear a pastor or a teacher say, Hey guys, let's go grave soaking. Hey guys, let's take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. No big deal. 
Hey guys, God is done with Israel. That's a lie. Hey guys, the Holy Spirit, look, it's in the glitter here in the rafters. You see? It's a lie. Don't believe it. Remember Paul? We, he's speaking to the Corinthian saints. And he says to them, In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, it's so simple. It's so simple to abide in Christ. There is simplicity in Christ. Be cautious of the people who come with these big words and they want to speak with such sophistry, with sophistication, carnal sophistication. Because they do it on purpose and cunning and craftiness to deceive. But there is simplicity in Christ. You see? So your minds may be corrupted. That's what Paul says. I fear less somehow. As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ. Simplicity that is in Christ. And he says, if anybody comes with a diff- another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, at the end of verse 4, you may well put up with it. Oh, God is love. You know, we're supposed to love. We're supposed to, you know, as is written in in Ephesians 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Now, the snowflake generation, the snowflake mentality will alter truth in order to seem like they're being loving. And that's what what Paul was afraid of for the Corinthian saints. You may well put up with it. Instead of saying to this guy, go fly a kite, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to sit and listen to you. You see, it's a trap. It's a trick. We're supposed to be wise. Going back to Ephesians 4. In verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off. Put off, which is to cast off concerning your former conduct, your former behavior. You see? Your former behavior, the old man, the old woman. Former behavior. Oh, but we're all sinners. Don't use that as a cop-out. Oh, but we're all sinners. I came to Christ as an alcoholic and I've been a Christian for 20 years and I'm still an alcoholic. We're all sinners. Put off the former conduct. Reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. Your old nature, that's a dead guy. Your old nature, that's a dead gal. You see? And I speak spiritually. I'm not talking about jumping off a bridge. But I mean, carry your cross. The instrument of crucifixion. The instrument of death. Carry your cross. The old man. The old woman putting off the former conduct, the former behavior, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. You see, the deceitful desires. Remember, verse 18 and 19, we know that it's a process. That's called the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, just a little white lie, no big deal. And 
Little white lie, no big deal. I'll get away with it. You know, make a little extra money, little white lie, cheat on my taxes, no big deal. That's the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, I can't believe this brother was caught in that. I can't believe this sister was caught in that. You know, maybe he was never a believer. Maybe maybe she was never a believer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolute now. She's predestined for hell. He was, she was never a believer. He, he's predestined for hell. He was never a believer. He thought he was, but he wasn't. Jesus Christ died on a cross, but only in a saving way, not for him, not for her. That's false doctrine. It doesn't align with Scripture. This falling away is a process. And this process that the these blueprints that we see here today, and not just here, but in other passages, this process of falling away, this is going to be amplified greatly in the last days where apostasy is prophesied, a defection away from truth. How does this happen? Ignorance. Ignorance. But in the Greek, it is ignorance and a disinclination, which means it is willful ignorance. It's the reluctance to know. That's why you hear us say all the time, you must be a Berean. Oh, I don't want to read the Bible. I, they, you know, I want, I'd rather watch TV. Okay, I'll read the Bible, but I don't want to read these. These verses are too hard. I, they make me feel bad, so I'm going to read these ones. I'm going to read you know, these ones that make me feel good only. I'm not going to read the other ones. That's dangerous ground, my friend. Don't do that. If that's you, don't do that. This old nature, the former conduct, it grows corrupt, as is written in verse 22, according to the deceitful lusts. And Paul says, don't do that. Put off that former man, the former conduct, the old man. Put off that former conduct, that former behavior, the old man, the old woman. Put it off. Cast it off. Throw it away. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renovated is how it translates. To be new and youthful and fresh in the mind. What is that? The inner man, the inner woman. And in verse 24, that you put on the new man. Now, I'm not advocating bipolar, to be bipolar, and I'm not saying anybody be bipolar, but I'll say this. Take the old you and the new you in Christ. The old you, which might have been alcoholic, you know, the crackhead, the sex head, the strippers, the whatever, all the whatever, wickedness. That's the old you. And you take the new you in Christ. Now, choose. You choose. You choose. Who do you want to be? Now, I'm going to sweeten the deal a little bit. If you choose the old you, what awaits you? In that, well, I'll be straight up with you. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell, hellfire damnation, that awaits you. You see? I mean, I say I'm going to sweeten the deal, but that's, that's, I, you, you can't hide from that fact. You can't hide from that truth. Reckon the old man. That, remember, there's a group of people. There is a group of people. 
who will say to the Lord Jesus Christ, We did all these things in your name. To whom Jesus will respond, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. There is a group of people who will hear those words. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Very interesting. Worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Oh, but we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Absolutely saved by grace. It is a free gift of God. Absolutely. But what about what about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next year? What about the rest of our lives? You and me, we have to choose to obey him. I wonder if these workers of iniquity, of whom the Lord would say, will say, depart from me. I wonder if they say, oh, we're all sinners. We're saved by grace, you know. We're all sinners and we're saved by grace. And oh, the five solas. I wonder. I wonder. All of us, we need ears for these last days. Ears to hear and eyes to see because they're growing even more treacherous than ever before. He says in verse 24 that you put on the new man. Just analyze that, the old you and the new you in Christ. You choose who you're going to be. Don't choose both because that's, you know, wishy-washy. That's being tossed to and fro. That's bipolar, spiritual bipolar. Don't be that way. That's crazy. Choose. Put off the old man. Crucify him. The old nature. The old behavior. Oh, I can't do that. It's so difficult. I can't do that. Well, you need the helper. You need the Holy Spirit. I thought I had the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at the fruit. Let's look at the fruit. This guy told me the Holy Spirit that was for 2,000 years ago is not for today. Okay. You have to honor, you know, honor the Lord. And when you honor the Lord and follow the, the blueprints as written, you will see no expiration date on the Holy Spirit. Are you going to believe what he says, what she says, or are you going to believe what the Bible says? Where there's no expiration date. He and she, they want to put an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. And the proof is in the pudding. Look at the fruit. Or, do you want to read the Bible, the blueprints, and see that there is no expiration date on the Holy Spirit? And you want that helper, capital H, of the Lord to help you deny the flesh. The same flesh that will kill you if you walk in accordance to that flesh. See, we have to learn. We have to learn how to walk according to the Spirit. And He helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us. That you put on in verse 24, the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I love this righteousness and holiness. As the days get darker and darker and darker and darker and darker and darker and darker, you know what's also getting brighter and brighter and brighter? The remnant. Holiness. Righteousness. Therefore, in verse 25, putting away lying. 
Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, beautiful. How beautiful do we see this unity? But we have to be wise because when we see this neighbor here, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. You know, not to have a universalist mindset that says, okay, you know, with, you know, all of my neighbors. So, you know, my neighbor wants to do this. My neighbor wants to do that. And I want to have unity with him and unity with her. So I'm going to partake of these things. No, we have to be wise. We have to be wise. Being this oneness of body. Remember, this oneness that we see in verse 4, 5, and 6, the one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. In order to get inside of verse 4 and 5 and 6, in order to get inside, there is a door. And that door is only Jesus Christ. Only. There is no other way. I mean, look at the saints in Corinth. When Paul says, okay, you remnant, separate from these other people. Imagine what those others might have said. <gasps> That's not loving. Look, you're supposed to be members of, we're members of one another. You're my neighbor. I know Paul says, don't even eat with me. But come on, let's have a meal. And afterwards, we're going to go to see the strippers. Afterwards, we're going to go do drugs and get drunk. You see how things can be twisted? The deceitfulness of men who plot? We have to be wise. In verse 26, be angry, which is a human emotion. Anger is a human emotion. Be angry. It's okay to be angry. Be angry and do not sin. You see? Do not sin. Have you ever seen people be angry and they sin? <laughs> it happens a lot. used to happen a lot with me. And I tell you these things from experience. It's perfectly okay to be angry. It, it's part of the human experience. It's perfectly okay to be sad and happy and depressed and emotional. It's beautiful. But we, want, we all of us, we must make sure that we envelop the human experience, these emotions, with the word of God, you and me yielding to him, it's perfectly okay to be angry. Only this, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. You see, these are the human experiences wrapped in these emotions. But remember, self-control is a gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 27, nor give place to the devil or opportunity to the devil. You see, and that's what anger does. That's what these human emotions do. The sadness. I mean, somebody who's depressed. Oh, I'm depressed. And what does Satan do? He whispers, oh, you're depressed. Why don't you start cutting yourself? Why don't you go jump off a bridge? You see, that's what he does. Why? Because he wants to kill you. He wants you dead. Part of the human experience is to understand that, yes, we have emotions, but in our state of these emotions, whatever it is, you and me, we yield to him. 
not giving place to the devil, whether it be anger, whether it be depression, whether it be sorrow, whether it be joy, whether it be whatever, sadness. Let him who stole, past tense notice, steal no longer. Remember, that's the former conduct of which Paul says, put in verse 22, put off concerning your former conduct, your former behavior, the old man, the old woman. Picture you might have been angry before in the past and in your anger you just beat up people. But now you can't even hurt a butterfly. That's the Lord's workmanship. Behold the handiwork of our Lord. You might have been a thief before in the past. Let him who stole steal no longer. That's the former conduct. That's the old man, the old woman. I don't care what you have done. I don't care. But I care about your soul right here, right now. You believe in Jesus Christ. You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You hit pause. You listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. I don't care that what happened yesterday, a week ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. That's the old nature. And I want you to be dead to him. I want you to be dead to her. Spiritually speaking, I'm not saying, you know, go do anything crazy. But commit your life to Jesus Christ. Don't give place to the devil. It's okay to be angry, but when you're angry, you know, go take a walk. You don't have to stew in your anger. Open up the beer bottle. No, throw away the beer. Drink a glass of water. Go for a walk. You see? Don't give place to the devil. We have to be wise. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. You know, that's a, that's a bad word in today's generation. Nobody likes to work. Free money. I get my free go. Free money. The government pays this. The government does this. What does the Bible say? Work. Let him labor. Working with his hands. Working with his hands, what is good that may that he may have something to give who that he may have something to give him who has need. You see, helping one another again, the body caring for the body. It's not for the sake of humanity. Oh, I'm going to do these things for the sake of humanity. No, this is the body caring for the body. Remember in Agabus, the prophet in in the book of Acts, Agabus he came and said, you know, the famine is coming. The famine came, and there were provisions. For the saints, you see, the body caring for the body, saints, ministry unto the saints. Now, that's not to say that there can't be an evangelistic ministry, but if there is evangelistic ministry, it must have a door, capital D, and I speak of Jesus Christ, it must have a door. Otherwise, it's just for humanity's sake. A work of the Lord in, with an, an evangelistic um, motive. If it's of the Lord, it must have the door. And this door, it must have a means by which Jesus Christ is told and taught. Because if somebody walks in that door, now they need to be equipped. That's how you will see biblical evangelistic ministry. But it's for if it's for the sake of humanity... That's that's habitat for humanity. That's what you see the Lutherans, the Methodists do, the Episcopals. That's what they're doing. Now, if you're Lutheran, Episcopal, Methodist, I love you. 
But I say to you as well, come out of for my people. Sound doctrine. This oneness, this unity that we see, it is only in Christ. Not the fake Christ. The real Jesus Christ. The real Jesus Christ. And so we see this in closing in verse 29. Let no corrupt word or let no worthless word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. You see, the building up. Now, it must be in accordance to the blueprints. Genesis to Revelation, it must be in accordance to the blueprints. You see? That's not to say, okay, you know, uh, we were sex, sex heads in our former life. In our former, before we came to Christ, we were sex heads, we were crackheads, we were alcoholics, and then, you know, we're in Christ, we believe in Jesus Christ, and church has become a social club, and we go into our little corner and talk, and we just talk about the strippers, the crack, the alcohol. No. No. That's corrupt words. That's corrupt words, and... Not it's not what 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 goes into the uh, what goes into a man that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the man because it reveals the heart. Because where you see people speak about the sex and the drug, I mean in a glorifying sense, like you know, oh yeah, I like the strippers. Oh yeah, I like the crack and the alcohol, the gambling, the occult, and the little white lies and the Ouija boards and the Buddhas and the yoga and all these different things. The Harry Krishnas, Mary, all these things. And where you see that. It reveals the heart of a man. It reveals the heart of a woman. You see? Because it's what comes out of the man. What comes out of the woman. And it reveals their heart. It reveals their mind. That is in verse 23, where it says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's, that's a mind that is not renewed. And in the course of time, the feet, the feet and the hands will surely follow in the course of time, will surely follow without, unless there is a teacher, a pastor who says, repent, 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 repent. Don't do that. That is the old nature. That is the old man. You need to crucify him. That is the old woman. You need to crucify her. Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Where are they? You see? MIA. Missing in action. Where are they? And so we see this. What is good and necessary what is good for necessary edification in verse 29? That it may impart grace to the hearers, you see? Grace to the hearers. We have to be very careful with our words. Very careful with our words. These are things that religion can't do this. Religion cannot touch the mind, the heart, the inner man, the inner woman. Only relationship with Jesus Christ. The real Jesus. Only relationship with him. In closing, in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's hardcore. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Turn with me really quick to Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, we see this. In verse 5. 
Genesis 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, not just only evil, period. Only evil continually. Every intent. Every intent. Verse 5. Every intent. Not what the feet and the hands were doing. But every intent of the thoughts of his heart, what was going on in the mind, was only evil, no period, was only evil continually, nonstop wickedness in the mind. A lot of times people think, oh, look, it was a terrible society, terrible society. And yeah, they're terrible aspects of the society, but you know what was worse? What was going on in the mind, in the heart? What was the place where the Lord can see? I mean, he can see everything, but I mean, he can see inside, deep down to the marrow. He knows the motives. He tests the minds. He knows. And in verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord. Grieving. When he says he was sorry that 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 he had made man on the earth, it translates in the Hebrew as you know to be like a strong sigh, like ah, oh, you know, like painful, like it's just a sigh, like oh, like guttural almost. The grieving of the Lord, and he was grieved in his heart. And I love verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now the Lord can see the mind, see the heart, and he looks on the earth, and he sees that in the earth, every intent of the thoughts of the heart of man was only evil continually, and yet there was Noah. What was his heart like? What was his mind given over to? The Lord, you see, complete and total submission to the Lordship of God. And it's so powerful because you see Moses or, or, or Noah in obedience to the Lord, following these blueprints to construct the ark. And in accordance to these blueprints of the last days, there's an ark of our time. His name is Jesus Christ. And I say to you, get in the ark. You're with the grave soakers, that boat is sinking. You're with the uh, replacement theologians, that boat is sinking. You know, you're with the folks who say, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That boat is sinking. Get in the ark. The real ark. Going back to Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I don't, I don't want you or me to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that was, that's what happens when we walk, if we walk according to the flesh. That's what happens if you don't reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. And that's also the deceitfulness of sin, the hardening of a heart. Now, as a heart gets hard, do you think it's no big deal to the Lord? It's a huge deal to the Lord. He's grieving. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And for somebody to walk away from him... It grieves him because he desires that one. I mean, 
We read this in verse 4, the, 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 uh, the package deal that we see in verse 4, 5, and 6. And I don't mean any disrespect to the Lord to say the package deal, but we see oneness, unity, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. This is what the Lord desires. Oneness with you because he loves you. Because he loves you, he desires oneness with you. He's the one who gave the door for you and me to enter and into this oneness with him. He's the one who gave the door. And it was pleasing to the Father. Remember? Isaiah 53. And when somebody walks away, somebody walks out of that door. Remember the baby girl example? She has to be safe in the house. But if she walks away, you didn't lose her. She walked away. Now, having walked away, do you think the Lord is okay with that? No, he's grieving. He doesn't want that to happen. Now, to make excuses in accordance to false doctrine, people say, oh, look, baby girl is predestined to hell. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's what man teaches. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In closing, let all bitterness, not just a little bit, let a little bit of bitterness. No, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. That is the old nature, the old man, the old woman, the former nature before you came to Christ. That's you in Adam. You in Christ is different. Now, remember verse 18 and 19, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. We take inventory of our hearts. Why is it? Ask yourself. I mean, if there's change of the Lord, rejoice. But if there is no change, ask yourself, why is this? Why is there no change? Why is it that I'm, I was a crackhead when I came to Christ and that was 10 years ago and I'm still a crackhead? I'm still a sexhead. I'm still an alcoholic. I still do the white lies. I still go to the strip clubs. I still do the, I, all these works of the flesh, walking in disobedience. Why is that? Oh, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're saved by grace. No, don't, don't use that as a cop-out. Never use that as a cop-out. But let's be honest with ourselves and with the Lord. And let us reason together. Why is that? You see, I mean, there's several reasons. It could be that you have a false teacher as a pastor. It could be that you believe in a Jesus that is unbiblical, which is one of the Jesus that the real Jesus says don't do. Or it could be that you're reading the real Jesus, you're studying the real Jesus, but you're not yielding to him. Don't do that. Because in that you'll have a whole lot of religion, but religion cannot save you. And I say to you, 
Get in the ark where it is safe for your soul. Let all bitterness in verse 31, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind. Be kind to one another. Now remember, you see the body caring for the body. We have to be wise. Now I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to say be mean to all these people. But remember the Corinthian example when Paul says separate from these people, these, these in disobedience behavior, conduct that is unbecoming, separate from them. Now, what would they say if you were to separate? Oh, don't do that. That's so mean. Don't listen to Paul. Look, we're supposed to be kind. Look, we're one body. No, that's not, you're not called to be among the mutilation. No, you're, you're set apart for the Lord. You see, you're set apart for the Lord. Coming to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man or a perfect woman, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, no longer being children, moving on to perfection. That cannot happen with leaven. That cannot happen with leaven. You see? Be kind to one another. This is speaking of unity. Biblical unity. People unified in Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, sound doctrine. And when you have that, be unified. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You see, this is the way. This is the way. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. How can a person be tender-hearted? Look, this person committed murder. This person did all these things. This person says such hateful things. And now he looks like the exact same guy. She looks like the exact same gal. But now they're so kind. Now they're tender-hearted. How could this be? It's supernatural. Behold the workmanship of the Lord who gives a new heart, a new mind, and a new spirit. You see, tenderheartedness is beautiful. Forgiving one another even as God and Christ Jesus forgave you to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.